Hello everyone, welcome back to another spooky episode of the Talk To You Later podcast. Um, actually, I don't know if I should, sorry, this chair I'm in is so squeaky. Sorry, I will try to hold my movements to a minimum. Anyway, um, I guess I shouldn't really say, I don't know if it's so much spooky as it is just kind of like eerie and sad and just, I don't know. So, the topic of this week's episode, luckily, is not scary stories because I barely made it through last week's episode. Um, but it is a true crime episode. And the true crime topic or person I decided to pick is the case of Susan Powell. And if you don't know anything about Susan Powell, you will get to know all about her in this episode and the unfortunate turn her life took. Um, but before we start, as always, life updates. So this week, again, was a pretty chill week. Um, Thursday, I took my kids on a little hike and I am honestly so proud of them because they both walked the whole way. Like, it wasn't an extreme hike, obviously. Like, it wasn't like we're scaling a Mount Everest. But for little kids and little legs, like, there were some bigger hills. And they did such a good job. And only at the end, Brooks was like, I want you to hold me. And I'm like, we're almost there. I'm like, we're almost there to the car. We literally had, like, Le like probably 0.2 miles left not even and so we made it they had fun and they were both zonked <laughs> they were so tired um so that was on thursday and then friday we just had a chill day at home pretty much and then saturday morning we took our kids to home depot i think i might have mentioned this on the podcast before but every or i guess okay once a month Home Depot does like a toddler activity where they build a craft and then they get to paint it and take it home. And this week they built an airplane and it was actually pretty cool. And they got to paint it, put stickers on it, take it home. They got a little candy at the end and they get like the cute little Home Depot apron things that the workers wear. And my boys love it. They We go, we try to go every month, but we don't always go, but we try to go. And then we had a fancy picnic in the park with Taco Bell. <laughs> And then we just kind of ran some errands around town. And then we took our boys on Saturday to this, we call it the pirate ship house, but a house near our, like in our neighborhood decorates the front of their house like a giant, like it's legit. It, it literally should be in Disneyland. It's that, it's top notch, but it's like a pirate ship and you can walk through and they have a bunch of animatronics and just like skeletons and it's just really cool so if you're ever in southern utah and you want to go message me and i will give you the address to that house because it's so cool and your kids will love it i love it and i'm 28 so <laughs> i think it's worth it to go 
Um, and then, yeah, Sunday we went to the park and played soccer with our kids. And that's, that's about all I did this week. <laughs> Nothing crazy. Um, yeah, let's get into the episode. Like I said, it is the case of Susan Powell. And for those of you that have never heard, Susan Powell was from Utah. And her case is considered a cold case. And in true crime or just murder, mm, crime, not crime scenes, but like cases, when it, they say cold, it basically means they haven't, they never figured out where the person is or who did it. And they basically just put it to the side and say, we can't, like, we obviously can't work on this forever. Um, unfortunately, I wish that they could because for the family's sake, I can't imagine not knowing who or where your son, daughter, whoever it is, like where they are, what happened to them, that would be very difficult. But yeah. So first, I'm going to read off a couple of just like bullet points on both Susan and her husband, Josh, who was the main suspect in this case. So I'm just going to read a couple things about them. And then first off, before I start, I want to cite my sources. (laughs) I learned in high school not to, um, what's the word? Um, why can't I think of it? Basically copy and take credit for it. <laughs> it starts with a P, I feel like. I just, it's just not coming to me. Anyway, but I got a lot of my information from the actual, it's called The Cold Podcast. If you haven't listened to The Cold Podcast, especially the one on Susan Powell, I highly suggest that you do. You will be hooked. He has such good in-depth information on that podcast. It literally is just so good. So I got a lot of my information from that podcast on his website. And then I also found some on Deseret.com. And so, yeah, those are mainly the two places that I got a lot of this information from. And also I'm pulling from my own memory bank from what I heard on the cold podcast. (laughs) Okay, so first, let's start with Susan Powell. So Susan was born October 16th in 1981 in Alamogordo. New Mexico. Um, Her family later moved to West Valley City in Utah, and then when she was a young child, her family settled in Seattle, Washington. Um, She attended Washington State University, and she worked as a full-time broker at Wells Fargo Bank, and she, that is where she and Josh, sorry, she and her husband Josh met at Washington State University. Um, and then she disappeared December 6th, 2009 from West Valley City. So those are kind of main points of Susan. And then let's move on to Josh. So Josh Powell was born on January 20th, 1976 in Puyallup, Washington, which fun fact, I have family that lives in Puyallup, Washington. So that's kind of crazy. Um, anyway, back to Josh. He lived in Seattle and was a student at the University of Washington also. He met Susan in Tacoma, Washington at an LDS Institute party held at his apartment in November of 2000. And shortly after they started dating and were married in the Portland, Oregon Temple in April of 2001. So they dated for about a year. Um, Josh always struggled to keep a job and he was very possessive over Susan to an abusive point. So there's some main points about Josh. 
And now I'm going to kind of get into the timeline and the story of Susan Powell. Okay, and I'm going to start reading more on Josh just so we can get kind of a background into his life. Just so you can kind of see how he was raised and why he may have been the way that he was. So, um, Josh's parents had a pretty dysfunctional marriage caused in large part by Stephen's violent abuse of his family and his disaffection with the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, and by the way, Josh's parents' name are Stephen and Teresa. Teresa? I'm going to go with Teresa. Powell. Um, but his dad had a weird relationship with the LDS church, which he was a part of. And according to divorce filings by Teresa in 1992, Stephen shared pornography with Josh and his two brothers and refused to teach or enforce limits on certain behaviors. As a teenager, Josh allegedly killed gerbils belonging to one of his sisters and threatened his mother with a butcher knife. He also attempted suicide on at least one occasion. So Josh obviously was raised in a very dysfunctional environment, especially with his dad. Um, And for those of you that don't know, his dad was actually arrested in 2011, I think, on child pornography charges. And he died of natural causes after he got let out of prison um anyway so by the late 1990s josh was living in seattle as a student at the university of washington it was here that he began a relationship with a young woman named katherine terry everett whom he met at a local lds church after the two moved into an apartment together josh became very possessive toward everett she later recalled he refused to allow her to visit her family by herself and added he would have he would have restrictions and limitations on what i could have and what i could and couldn't do when it came to my family whenever it visited a friend in utah without josh she decided to not return to seattle and broke up with him over the phone which scary if you have to leave the state and then break up with your boyfriend <laughs> red flag okay Josh met Susan Cox, a classmate at his LDS Church Institute of Religion course, during a dinner party at his Tacoma apartment in November of 2000. The two began a relationship and married in the Portland, Oregon Temple in April of 2001. Josh had a bachelor's degree in business and worked for a number of different companies over the years, while Susan, a trained cosmetologist, took up a job with Wells Fargo Investments after the family's relocation to West Valley, Utah. And so, yes, for that might be a little confusing. So they both, their families were both living in Washington. And then after they started dating and after they got married, Josh and Susan moved to West Valley City, which is a city just outside of Salt Lake, Utah. Um, And the Powells later on had two sons, Charles, born in 2005, and Brayden, born in 2007. Um. And then this is another weird, creepy part of the story. So for a short amount of time after their wedding, Josh and Susan lived at Stephen Powell's home, which is Josh's dad, in South Hill, Washington. Um, Initially, unknown to Susan, her father-in-law, Stephen, had developed an obsessive infatuation with her. Stephen would follow Susan around the house with a camcorder 
used a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom, stole her underwear from her laundry, read her journals, and even posted love songs online under a pseudonym. And if you haven't heard these love songs, go online and look them up because they are creepy. Or if you listen to the Cold podcast, he plays them on there. It's, It's really weird. Um... In 2003, Stephen confessed his feelings to Susan and she was shocked. And she obviously rejected him. The encounter was um, inadvertently captured by Stephen's camcorder microphone. The Powell then moved out of state soon after, partly so Susan can distance herself from Stephen. So that is mostly the reason why they moved from West Valley or to West Valley from Washington to get away from creepy Steve. Susan's journal entries and email correspondence indicated the presence of marital distress. There was tension with Josh over his refusal to to attend church services with his family and over his continued contact with Stephen despite his father's ongoing advances towards Susan. Susan's friends also pointed to Josh's extremely controlling behavior toward his wife and to his extravagant spending habits. Josh filed for bankruptcy in 2016. 2007 declaring over two hundred thousand dollars in debts which is crazy because another part of the story josh was so controlling on how much susan would spend she was on such a tight budget that if she went over like the grocery bill or whatever it was he would make her take groceries back and so they didn't go over budget like he was that crazy yet he was spending over two hundred thousand dollars on who knows what in 2008, Susan recorded a video surveying property damage she attributed to Josh and wrote a secret will that included the statements, I want to document it that there's extreme turmoil in our marriage, and if I die, it may not be an accident even if it looks like one. That is creepy and scary and just sad that she even had to write that about her own husband. Um, So now I'm going to go more into depth on her disappearance and the story behind that. So on the morning of December 6, 2009, Susan, Charles, and Brayden attended church. um, And and then afterwards, a neighbor visited them in their home in the afternoon and they left about at about 5 p.m. And that was mostly because Susan was feeling sick and she went to lay down and take a nap. Um, and this is the last time Susan was seen by someone from outside of the Powell house. At first, relatives reported the entire Powell family missing on December 7th. Josh's mother, Teresa, Teresa and, her, and his sister, Jennifer, went looking for them at their house shortly after being informed that the children had not been dropped off at daycare that morning. They called the police after failing to make contact with Josh or Susan. The police broke into the house, fearing that the family members were victims of carbon monoxide poisoning. They found no one inside, but noticed two box fans blowing at a wet spot on the couch. Susan did not show up at her job on December 7th. Her purse, wallet, and ID were all found at the house. Her cell phone phone was later found in the family's only vehicle that Josh had been using. Later that day, at about 5 o'clock p.m., Josh returned home with the two boys and was taken to the police station for questioning. He claimed he had left Susan sleeping at home shortly after midnight on December 7th and had taken his boys on a camping trip to Simpson Springs in western Utah. Police visited Simpson Springs on December 10th but found no evidence of the campsite that Josh had described. They also found it suspicious that Josh would take his young boys out camping in a blizzard. 
um, after midnight when they were scheduled to go to daycare just hours later. Josh had additionally not told his boss that he would not be coming into work that day and he explained to police that it was because he had thought it was a Sunday rather than a Monday. So super suspicious automatically of Josh. Like, first off, why are you taking your two young kids at midnight? That means they would have either had to stay up till midnight or you got them out of bed, put them in the car at midnight, drove a few hours to a campsite in the middle of a blizzard in Utah. If you live in Utah or have been in Utah, you know how bad the blizzards here can be. And why on earth would you take your kids in a minivan? That was the car they had. They had a minivan. Why would you take your kids in a minivan camping in the middle of the night on a Monday? It just, it makes no sense. Okay, continuing on. Upon searching the Powell residence on December 9th, investigators found traces of Susan's blood on the floor. Life insurance policies of on Susan for $1.5 million and a handwritten letter from Susan expressing fear for her life. DNA test results released in 2013 matched one blood sample with Susan, while another sample was determined to have come from an unknown male contributor. And I'm also going to mention when the police went to search their house, besides that little spot of blood, there was nothing. Like, there wasn't any forceful entry, there wasn't any signs of distress or... Like, things just weren't out of place. Besides the weird box fans pointing to that one wet spot on the couch, there was really nothing super suspicious going on at the house. But in August of 2012, West Valley City Police released documents showing Josh took actions that were regarded as highly suspicious following Susan's disappearance. Josh liquidated Susan's retirement accounts, canceled her regular regular scheduled chiropractic sessions, and withdrew his children from daycare. He also had previously spoken to co-workers about how to hide a body in an abandoned mine shaft in the western Utah desert. First off, why are you telling people that? That's creepy. Um, police interviewed the couple's oldest son, Charlie, who confirmed that the camping trip that Josh described actually took place. However, unlike his dad, he stated that Susan had gone with them and she did not return. Weeks after her disappearance, a teacher told reporters that Charlie had claimed that his mother was dead. Furthermore, Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy Cox, claimed that while at daycare several months after the disappearance, Brayden drew a picture of a van with three people in it and told caregivers mommy was in the trunk. And I don't care what any of you have to say. Listen to the kids. Because kids don't tell, kids don't lie, especially about stuff like that. They tell you mom was in the trunk. Why would they say that unless she was actually there? And mommy was with us, but she was dead. Like, kids don't know how to lie about that. Especially at the ages that they were. Like, they were pretty young. So, yeah. Weird. Uh, investigators informed the media that they had planned to question Josh again and subpoenaed all the footage and interviews of Josh from local television stations. On December 14th, Josh retained an attorney in connection with the investigation, and police said that he grew increasingly uncooperative. A few days later, he took his sons to Puyallup to stay with Stephen for the holidays. By December 24th, Josh was considered a person of interest in the investigation. On January 6, 2010, he returned with his brother Michael to pack the family's belongings, indicating he was moving to Puyallup permanently. This whole, it's just this whole situation seems so suspicious. One, why, I don't know if, I don't know a ton about 
the law. But why aren't they, like, arresting him or doing more? I just, I don't know. In Puyallup, Washington, Josh stayed in a home with his two sons, his father Stephen and his brothers Michael and Jonathan, and his sister Alina. Josh indicated that he would rent out his home in Utah, and it was reported that he returned to Puyallup after he had lost his job. Soon after, the website SusanPowell.org was launched, described as the official website of Susan Powell. The site's anonymous entries defended Josh as the victim of a smear campaign by Susan's family and his estranged sister Jennifer and the LDS Church. Additional posts also speculated that Susan's disappearance was connected to that of Stephen Kocher, a former journalist who vanished the same week as Susan and that the two had run off to Brazil together. Josh and Stephen were widely believed to have written these posts. In late 2010, both men claimed Susan had abandoned her family due to mental illness and that she had left with another man. Susan's family rejected these claims as being unsupported by any evidence. And this is weird to me because in the earlier stages of this case, Josh would say that like he he's, wants his wife to come home. He's handing out flyers at a jazz game of like missing person of like susan on them and then all of a sudden like something switched and now he's saying that she had mental illness and she left him to be with someone else and that basically that she's just crazy so he kind of flipped a script right there um anyway investigators scrutiny extended to steven upon learning from a family friend that he had been obsessed with his son's wife computer images seized from the house in 2010 turned up 4,500 images of Susan taken without her knowledge, including close-ups of specific body parts. Police also turned their attention to Michael after learning that he sold his broken-down Ford Taurus to a wrecking yard in Pendleton, Oregon, shortly after Susan's disappearance, and had later ordered satellite images of the lot. When, a poli- when police found the car, a cadaver dog indicated that decomposing human remains had been in the trunk. DNA tests on the car proved inconclusive. And like I said, I've mentioned this many times, and I'll probably continue to mention it throughout this episode, but the cold podcast goes way in depth into the trunk of the car and just just everything. Um, And also, I'll add, um, I can't remember if this was before or after Josh moved to Washington. I'm pretty sure it was before, but the police took the family's car, the minivan that Josh went camping in, they took it and they seized it basically so Josh couldn't be in it or near it for a couple of days while they had it so they could search it and everything, run tests. And while they did that, Josh rented a car from Salt Lake and drove 800 miles within one day, like a Monday to a Tuesday. He drove 800 miles and returned the car. And so people think or it's the rumor or whatever, speculate that that is when he got rid of Susan's body. And so police did basically a 400-mile radius out from that rental car location out of Salt Lake and did a 400-mile radius circle around all of Utah, went into Nevada, Wyoming, southern Utah, even a little bit into Arizona. And they were like, okay, he could have gone anywhere in this 400-mile radius, which is a lot of miles to cover. If you go 400 miles in every direction, that would take forever to search. 
especially when you're looking for something as small as a body. You know what I mean? Anyway, on September 14th, 2011, Utah authorities dis- discovered a possible grave site while searching Topaz Mountain, a desert near the near Nephi that Joshua had frequently used as a campsite. There were signs of recent soil disturbance and shoveling, but after digging a few feet down, police were unable to find any remains. In spite of careful sifting of the soil, federal anthropologists also ruled out the possibility of the site being an ancient burial ground. Police continued to examine the site for a time, but offered no explanation as to why they previously announced the finding of remains when none had actually been confirmed. Authorities said they were following a scent detected by their sniffer dogs. Relations between and within the Powell and Cox families became increasingly hostile. After a police raid in their home in 2011, both Josh and Steven spoke to major news outlets regarding journals that Susan had allegedly written about the relationship between Steven and herself. Steven claimed that he and Susan had been falling in love prior to her disappearance, and he cited the context of the journals, written when Susan was a teenager, when she didn't even know him, as evidence to support his theory that she was mentally unstable and could have run away with another man. A judge issued a permanent injunction forbidding Josh and Stephen from publishing any material from Susan's journals, ordering the pair to either return or destroy any journals already published. Um, on December 22nd, Stephen was arrested on charges of voyeurism and child pornography. After the police found evidence that he had secretly videotaped numerous women and young girls, including Susan, John Long, assistant, an assistant attorney general for Washington State, said that Josh was a subject in the child pornography in, sorry in the child pornography investigation a friend of steven claimed that he was preoccupied with pornography and was hung up on susan sexually chuck cox fi- filed for custody of susan's children the day after steven was arrested which good on him get those kids away from that family um a washington court eventually granted cox temporary custody of the boys ruling that Josh would have to move out of Stephen's home if he wanted to regain custody. Josh rented a house in South Hill, Washington, but authorities later alleged that he had never actually moved into that house, merely making it appear as if he had to satisfy the court's instructions while continuing to reside at Stephen's home. Um, In late September 2011, Josh's sister Jennifer stated that she believed Josh was responsible for his wife Susan's disappearance. His other sister, Alina, had also been suspicious of him as well. However, she later withdrew her suspicions and felt that Josh had been unduly harassed by the investigation. By this time, West Valley City had spent more than a half a million dollars on the case. On September 28th, Mayor Mike Winder indicated that he felt that the case was worth the expense, stating, We feel that we are not getting to that tipping point where we have more hot evidence than we have had in the past two years, and that case was moving forward. In late 2011, Josh underwent a series of court-ordered evaluations in Washington. The evaluations by James Manley determined that Josh had had adequate parenting skills, a steady employment history, and no criminal record or history of domestic violence. However, Manley also raised issues concerning the ongoing criminal investigations, Josh's failure to admit normal personal shortcomings, his overbearing behavior with his sons, and his persistent defensiveness and paranoia attributed to the police and media attention in conjunction with underlying narcissistic traits. The initial recommendation was for Josh to have visitation with his sons over several, sorry, visitation with his sons several times a week, supervised by a social worker. 
In the last week of January 2012, Utah police discovered about 400 images of simulated child pornography, bestiality, and incest on a computer seized from the Powell family home. The pornography had been cached when viewed by the previous owner of the computer, which had been purchased by Susan secondhand. However, Utah authorities misled the court and accused Josh of having viewed the images. The images, while not illegal due to them being in a hand-drawn or cartoonish 3D format, were cause for great concern to Manley, particularly given Josh's earlier denial of possessing any such material. Josh was recommended to receive a more thorough psychosexual evaluation and polygraph test, but his lawyer suggested no change in the visitation with the Powell boys. Meanwhile, Michael established a Google Sites page which claimed that Susan's parents were abusing and neglecting the boys in collusion with child welfare authorities and West Valley City Police had both mishandled the investigation into Susan's disappearance and and were harassing Joshua. Lawyers for the Cox family disputed the allegations and Google removed the site after a few days due to terms of use violations. Okay. I'm going to give a couple more, um, I guess, bullet points or facts into this already crazy, hectic situation. So, Josh's brother, who he was living with, Michael, was rumored to have been an accomplice. No, I don't know if I want to say an accomplice, but he helped Josh get rid of Susan's body. That's why, why you kind of hear his name every once in a while in this story but people are accusing i don't know if they were at the time but now are accusing him of helping josh hide susan's body and a few years after susan went missing michael committed suicide by jumping off of a building and his dad also like i said earlier josh's dad steven who was also rumored to have helped Josh get rid of Susan, also died of, in quotes, natural causes. So all three of the people that knew anything about Susan or could have known anything about Susan were gone. Anyway, moving moving right along. On February 5th, 2012, a social worker named Elizabeth Griffin Hall called 911 after taking Charlie and Brayden to a supervised visit at Josh's house in South Hill, Washington. Hall, who was supposed to monitor the visit between Josh and the boys, reported that he grabbed them and would not let her through the door. Soon after, the house exploded, killing Josh and the two children. Local authorities treated the case as a a double murder-suicide, saying that the act appeared to have been deliberate. When authorities notified Stephen, who was in jail, he didn't seem very upset by the news, but was angry toward authorities who notified him. Two weeks later, Stephen invoked his Fifth Amendment right not to answer questions regarding Susan's disappearance. Cox and others have stated they believe that Stephen knew what had actually happened to Susan. Stephen was convicted of voyeurism charges in May of 2012 in a trial which largely skirted the issues of Susan's case. After a relatively brief investigation, officials confirmed that the explosion had been deliberately planned. The official cause of death for Josh and the two boys was determined to be carbon monoxide poisoning, though the coroner also noted that both children had significant chopping injuries to the head and neck. A hatchet was recovered near Josh's body, and investigators believed he used the tool to attack the boys before being overwhelmed by smoke and fumes. 
The fire investigation also found two five-gallon cans of gasoline on the premises, as well as evidence that gasoline had been spread throughout the house. Friends and relatives of Josh told authorities that he had contacted them by email minutes before the incident to say goodbye. Some of them, including his local bishop, received instructions for finding his money and shutting off his utilities. Records also showed that Josh had withdrawn $7,000 from his bank account and had donated his children's toys and books to local charities the day before the incident. Josh named his brother Michael as the main beneficiary to his life insurance policy. Charles and Braden are buried at Woodbine Cemetery, which also contains a memorial for their mother, Susan. Josh's remains were cremated. So after Josh and his two, his, him and Susan's two kids were killed in the house fire explosion, um, on February 11, 2013, almost one year after the death of Josh and his sons, Michael Powell, so Josh's brother, like I mentioned earlier, killed himself in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, where he moved to graduate school, and he jumped off the roof of a parking garage. Police had questioned Michael several times in 2012 after discovering his abandoned Ford at the Oregon wrecking yard, wrecking yard. Police described Michael as evasive about why he left his car at the location. Utah authorities have since said they believe that Josh and Michael were accomplices in the murder of Susan. In a February 2013 interview, Manley, who had conducted the 2011 through 2012 evaluations of Josh for Washington authorities, acknowledged his, acknowledged his suspicions that Josh was involved in his wife's disappearance. However, he did not mention these suspicions in his report because they were beyond the scope of his duties and because Josh had not been charged with any wrongdoing. Excuse me, I don't care if it's beyond your scope. If you're suspicious of someone, especially in a murder case, please report it. Like, please, just please report it. That's crazy. Um, and then on May 21st, 2013, West Valley City Police announced they had, cl- they had closed the active investigation into Susan's disappearance. In March of 2015, Chuck Cox won a protracted court bottle with Teresa and Alina Powell over control of Susan's estate. Teresa and Alina had sought to have Susan declared illegally dead to collect life insurance, but Cox ultimately gained full control of the estate. The Cox family also sued Washington's Department of Social and Health Services and its social workers, claiming that the agency prioritized Josh's parental rights over the safety of the boys and facilitated their deaths in 2015 or sorry, facilitated their deaths. And I'm also going to add into this, the Cold Podcast actually has the phone call that the social worker made to 911 as she's standing in front of the house that Josh Powell was staying in with, with his kids. And it is very sad and very frustrating to listen to. And like I said, just go listen to the Cold Podcast. Um, In 2015, a federal court granted summary judgment to the defendants, ruling that the social workers had immunity and DSHS was not negligent. In 2019, an appeals court partially overturned that decision, ruling that the social workers did have immunity, but the question of of DSHS's negligence could proceed to trial. At trial, a jury ruled that DSHS was negligent and awarded $98 million to the estates of Susan's two sons. 
Susan's family also pressured state lawmakers in Washington and Utah to pass bills that would restrict or block visitation rights for parents being investigated for murder. Which, honestly, why wasn't it that way from the beginning? Your dad or parent is being investigated for murder and you're letting those kids go around him? I'm sorry. That is not okay. Like, no one should ever be okay with that. Even supervised visits, I would be... I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hide that from them. Like, I get you're innocent until proved guilty, but with something as serious as murder, why would you want kids around someone like that? Even if it wasn't them. Like, just prove that they're innocent first for the sake of the kids. Anyway, Stephen Powell was released from prison on July 11, 2017 after serving a total of seven years following his voyeurism and child pornography convictions. He died of natural causes in Tacoma, Washington on July 23, 2018. So like I said earlier, all three of the men that were related like related to Josh and had any idea or info on Susan were now gone. So anything that they knew died with them. Um, in 2019, the Cold Podcast disclosed that the incestuous cartoon porn found by the utah police was not josh's nor even came from his computer the pornographic pictures were found to be on a computer that actually belonged to susan and that porn and that the pornography had been viewed by the computer's previous owner a fellow member of her lds church from whom she had purchased the used computer secondhand Cole declined to identify the original owners of the computer because as the host stated he had a conflict of interest as an acquaintance of the previous owner of the computer as well as their shared membership in the LDS church. No criminal charges have been filed against anyone related to the images. So it wasn't Susan's, it wasn't Josh's, it was the previous owner of the computer, but yet no one told on them because they knew them. Wrong. Sorry, that's creepy and wrong. Anyway... Susan remains a missing person, but given the fates of her sons, it's widely believed that she was murdered by her husband, Josh. There were calls as of March 2018 to have her declared dead, with the cause being homicide. In early 2022, so just last year, a cave exploration crew led by Diesel Brothers personality Dave Sparks took up the challenge of searching a mine shaft in the Utah desert in the search of Susan's remains. The team discovered several rib bones, possible human vertebrae, scraps of clothing, and other possible evidence of a human remains in the mine shaft. The remains were sent to a lab with DNA tests concluding that none of the bones belonged to Powell, but were instead animal remains. Pants recovered with the bones tested positive for male DNA, and the family is trying to identify the man. And I actually, the other day, was scrolling through TikTok, and I saw Diesel Brothers, Diesel Dave, and I was like, wait a second. And then I was, like, watching it, and he was, like, trying to find Susan, and I just thought it was cool because it had been years later after she had passed and gone missing, yet he wants to help the family and, like, help them find closure, and he himself and his buddies and his crew went out to the middle of the desert and were searching a mine shaft because, like I said earlier... Um, Josh was saying to a friend that how easy it would be to dispose of a body in a collapsed mine shaft. So, unfortunately, like I said, none of those came out to be Susan's remains, but I really hope that one day they do find something that will tell what happened or at least where she is, where she was left. Um, okay, 
like I said, this case is just super sad and just super disappointing because you just don't know what happened to her. And like I was saying earlier, you I could not imagine being her like mom and dad and just not knowing what happened to your daughter and where she was left and not having anyone to talk to. Like at least if Josh was still alive or his dad or his brother, they could try to get something out of them. But literally anyone that knew anything is gone. And I just can't imagine how frustrating that would be. Um, yeah, super sad super unfortunate for her and her kids and i also think this episode is very fitting since it is um domestic violence awareness month that we're doing this podcast i didn't really plan it to be that way but it just happened to come out to that to be that um but if you or anyone you know is in a relationship with someone that is controlling abusive whether that's verbal verbally physically whatever Please try and help them get out because you don't want them ending up like Susan or so many other victims that have this happen to them. And Susan, like I said earlier, she wasn't surprised that, like, she didn't want anyone to know that she was shocked or have it be a surprise that it was Josh that would have killed her. Like she said, even though it may look like an accident, it wasn't. So he must have like, oops, sorry, he must have said things to her that made her think that he was going to kill her for her to write that in journals. Like that it's just, it's just sad to me that she knew that he was like that, yet she was too scared or not confident enough or whatever it may be that she felt like she had to stick with him. And even if it was just, yeah, just like she was scared. Like, it's just, ugh, it makes me feel sick and sad. Um, anyway, I'm sorry this podcast was probably a little all over the place. But like I said, this case is so interesting. And honestly, I had to keep it under, I'm try, I tried to keep it under an hour, which so far I have. But if I didn't, if I wanted to go into every little detail, this podcast would have gone on for probably like five hours. <laughs> and I don't think I could have done that. Obviously, I couldn't have done that. I have kids and other things to do. But yeah, like I said, if you want a very in-depth, very detailed and more info on this case, go to the Cold Podcast. And I think there's another podcast that I think it's called Morbid. I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch of true crime podcasts that have covered this. And I know that there are some documentaries out there on this. Um, I don't watch them. <laughs> First, because Jeff also doesn't like... Like, Jeff, this stuff he's not into. Um, but also, sometimes I get freaked out also by listening and watching things like this. This case, I felt like I could do this month because it wasn't as gory and scary as some i mean it still is scary and creepy but it's not as gory and morbid as some other cases i've heard about but so yeah that was this week's episode thank you so much for listening um i'm so glad you guys are listening it's so fun to do a podcast and record even though i'm talking alone in a room into a microphone um <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for listening please go rate and review the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. It would mean so much to me. 
and follow my Instagram. Yeah, I just love you guys so much. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Be safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And I will talk to you later. Bye.